0: Check okay. until the check is cleared and the money is in the account. It is not a legit project yet. You know, talk is cheap. Mm-hmm. So I learned that early on. So, same like I don't hand a rendering without a deposit at all and then if they're not even willing to commit on the project then to get a deposit
1: you're listening to the gangstar creative podcast where we talk and share real strategies real tactics and real stories from me and my badass guests to help gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life and i'm your host Ivana. i'm an artist creative entrepreneur speaker and best-selling author are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist if so let's get it What up, Gangstars? It's your girl, Devana, and this week's Gangstar Creative is Amy Malkin. Her family heritage from India, Africa, and travels have influenced her artistic expression, and she's best known for her community-based public art projects. She fundamentally believes that everyone deserves access and exposure to the arts, therefore she strives to engage the public in the design and production of most of her public art projects. Amy uses art and creativity to bridge the relationships between the public and public spaces. Over the past six years, she's facilitated the design, coordination, and production of over 70 public art projects across Houston area and has recently expanded outside of Texas. Some of these projects have been co-created with the involvement of over 3,000 area youth, artists, and hundreds of community stakeholders. She's also been featured in the Houston Chronicle, Fox 26, and Fox 4 News. Me and Amy actually were connected through social for a long time before I moved to Houston, but when I moved to Houston, she was definitely somebody I had to connect with, and she's turned out to be an amazing friend, and she has helped me connect with a lot of artists and creatives in the Houston area because she literally knows everybody and I'm just excited to have her on the show because you know her journey as a now single mom has not been easy and she's going to share a lot of that in this interview as well as a bunch of awesome tactics and strategies to help grow your artist and creative career so let's go ahead and dive right into the episode Hey gangstars. I'm super excited to have my dear friend, Amy on the show. Finally, after so many times trying to get her on Amy, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm so
0: excited to finally be here with you.
1: Yes, of course. I have to tell our listeners a little bit about you in our intro, um, yes. but I would love to have you, of course, share your backstory and take everybody on a journey of where you first started and how you got to where you are today.
0: Yeah, um, so my name is Amy Malkin, and I am an artist muralist, and I am been born and raised in Houston, Texas from A-Leaf, go SWAT, and um, yeah, I've been an artist all my life. I tell people that I was probably drawing in my mom's womb, um, so before I even was born on onto earth, and uh, art has been just in my life forever, and When I was deciding to like go to college and, and kind of pick my career path, I wanted to be an artist, but that wasn't something that was an option for me at that time, because my parents, you know, they're immigrants, migrated from India, came to America to provide a better life for their future children, i.e. me and my sister. And, um, they just wanted to make sure we were secure and they never heard of an, a full-time artist, you know, that would be able Mm -hmm. to provide, you know for their families. So I went and saw it off. I went to Baylor. I thought it was going to be a forensic scientist. I thought that would be the closest I could get to the kind of art. And then I liked forensic science because CSI was really yeah. popular at that time. So um, I ended up flunking out of Baylor because uh, I just wasn't happy. And I was also very immature, didn't have time management. And I just, I just didn't know who I was. And I ended up finally graduating from University of Houston. And the reason I even graduated was I had started on this journey of starting my business and people kept asking me like where I graduated college from or what my degree was in. So I was like, you know what, I need to finish college. So I did finish college, um, and got a bachelor's of arts in psychology. Um, and from there, I, I, I realized I was like, I need to do, I just need to do more in life. So I, yeah, I pursued my degree and I started my, um, art business. I quit my corporate job and became a waitress and I just hustled. And so then I, yeah, in 2016, I ended up being able to go full time and I haven't looked back, but it's been a very difficult journey to get here. Um, and it's still, it's still a hustle. It's still, you know, you're still grinding and doing, it's just a different type of lifestyle than having the corporate nine to five. So,
1: yeah. yeah. Wow. It's kind of a story in a nutshell. So since 2016, that's when you made the jump. And I'm sure a yes. lot of people listening are wondering, you know, how were you able to make that jump? Was it a specific job that you got? Did you just save up a, a bunch of money on the side? Like, what was that? What were the factors in play that made you finally make that decision?
0: That is a really good question. Um, So I actually met uh, my mentor uh, earlier that year, and he is a full-time artist and had been doing it for a really long time. And he was getting so many contracts that he was actually subcontracting me Mm. and my business to fulfill those mural projects. And so when I saw his pipeline and all the projects That he would subcontract me to fulfill, I just knew that that would be enough for you know to be able to get by in life. Like so, I was, I I just had a feeling. Um, I was like a now or never decision, and then I just saw myself getting really irritated and impatient. Um, and I just wasn't happy anytime I went to work. And believe it or not, I actually really did enjoy waitressing only because I got to meet so many different types of people. And it was kind of like my own mini business within the restaurant itself. And so I, I enjoyed going to work, but soon because I just, my heart was aching to just do my art full time. I just wasn't happy anymore. And so I think with that, paying attention to my attitude and my feelings and my emotions, and then, and then on the other hand, seeing his pipeline, I was just like, you just need to take that leap you're going to be okay. And I just know who I am as a person. And I work really hard. I, I was like, you're going to, you're going to be fine. You're going to make it like, it may be tough at times. You may cry and you may want to give up and quit, but you're going to be okay. So I just went for it. Like there was no, there wasn't a, like, it wasn't certain, but I had mm-hmm. a good glimpse. I felt like to feel safe, at least for the next like six months or something. And yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: That's similar to, um, for me too, like we didn't have, we only had like $8,000 saved for two people in Southern California, me and Kevin quit our jobs, but we just knew like there was no backup plan. We felt confident in, you know, our potential pipeline and we just went through it and never, you know, looked back. And it's cool too, because I feel like a lot of creatives, you know, do work. As a waiter work in the restaurant business, you know, on the side while they're trying to pursue their creative hustles. And that was me too. Um, and I like I still vividly remember like rolling silverware and just always thinking about God, I can't wait till I never yes. have to roll silverware again.
0: <laughs> yeah, rolling <laughs> <Like I> can... <laughs> silverware is the worst. Yes.
1: Yeah. So oh man, that's that. that is just so crazy that, you know, that you were able to create that leap. Um, But it's also crazy too just to have that confidence, you know, well, I guess both of us are crazy in that sense, but you have to have yeah. a little crazy to take that kind of leap of faith in yourself. So you were kind of, I guess, at that point, relying on the projects handed to you by your mentor yes. at the time. So when was it that, you started to get your, I guess your own projects under your belt to where you can kind of not be so reliant on somebody else, but you were able to bring your own. Because um, he
0: was like my main source. And I knew like, if anything was to happen, um, like maybe he would find somebody else or he didn't want to work with me or whatever the reason may be, then he like then I would be at ground zero again because he mm-hmm. at that time when I took that leap, he was my only source, like my only like lead. Um, so I started applying for projects and I got my own, I finally got my own project at the end of that year. No, at the end of um uh like uh end of 2017, actually. And um I was pregnant and seven months pregnant. And I had to like get on a boom lift. So I ended up having to hire people to fulfill my design and paint, paint the design on the building. Cause I just like out of safety, I couldn't get on there, but I didn't want to deter myself from not getting the project. Like, I think we can easily make up excuses, no matter where you are in your career, whether you're, you're starting off or, um, it's a side hustle, or you do it full time. Like when you're applying to RFQs or RFPs, which are requests for qualifications or requests for proposals on these sites, you can easily like deter yourself and be like, well, I'm not qualified or I have this going on. And and that could have been the case for me to be like, well, I don't have that much experience or I'm pregnant and I won't be able to paint it. And I, I could have deterred myself from applying, but I have a different motto. I'm like, whatever it is, the answer is yes. And you'll figure it out later. Um, just go for it and ask questions later. And so I applied for the project and I got it. And, and then I was like, okay, now I just need to know where, how do I fulfill this? And I mean, thankful to my mentor, he started me off with a different mindset than I think than, than most artists get right away in the beginning of their career. And he told me like, if you want this to be an actual business and you want to be able to succeed and thrive, you're going to have to hire and delegate these tasks out. Otherwise you will, um, be at only at a certain place of your business. Cause it's only you and you can only do so much and you only have so much time in the day. And so, because he kind of instill that early on and I was watching him work where he had almost like seven to 10 artists under him all the time, like wow. all of these contracts. Yeah. I was like, and I was watching him manage like five to six contracts going on at the same time, whether it was like large mural installations or a mosaic installations. And so I'm watching him kind of do all these different projects and managing all these different people and moving parts and different stakeholders. I got that early on to be able to feel comfortable to do it on my, on my own. So yeah, I, I got that project and I was like, cool. I know I need to hire out. It's okay that, you know, partial of my, and that, that, that budget wasn't that big, but I took the project anyway, because I wanted to have my own project. And so I was willing to give up some of it for labor to fulfill that contract. And so, yeah, um, that that was my very first one. And then I've been kind of just going from there, just doing a lot of outreach through Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And and then word of mouth and referrals and that's how my business has been running since then. Um, I am now at a place where I want to hire people to fulfill my contracts, so that I can go and get more work and and just expand my business that way.
1: So what would you say, where do you say you get most of your business? Is it through open calls? Is it through word of mouth? Most of it through word of mouth or would you say social media?
0: Yeah. I, you know, this is great. It's, I would be, um, I get a little bit on outreach, but most of it is through word of mouth and referrals. And I so far haven't had any luck in any of the Request for qualifications that I've applied for. So for those of you who don't know, there is a request for qualifications, which is an RFQ, and a request for a proposal, which is an RFP. And the difference between the two is request for qualifications is just asking for your qualifications. That's what it is. So you like your resume, your experience, um, your portfolio, but they're not asking you to do any work, like put a rendering together to decide if they like your design to move forward which I prefer because usually if it's an RFQ and you become a finalist, then they'll pay you a stipend to put mm-hmm. together a, a rendering. Uh, so they under, they really do value artists and their time and they understand that it's a lot of time to put a rendering together, like a, a proper uh, legit rendering uh, versus a request for a proposal. They're asking you to submit your idea In the proposal to see if you'll make it to the next round. And then the pro, so you're putting in free work and you're hoping to get the project. And then the other part of it is you're, now you've just sold your idea. So they have your idea. And if they decide to take that idea and give it to another artist, they can. And um, I was in a situation like that where I really wanted to do this project. And my mentor did persuade me not to do it, but was like, you still do as you please. So I did it. And so he saw me go through the whole process. He saw my rendering, gave me feedback and I did not get the project. And I saw my, my rendering on the wall. <laughs> oh, so took my idea And, and gave it to another artist to fulfill. And so that I, I felt that burn and I was like, Ooh, never again would I ever just send in a rendering for free. Cause that's my idea. Um, And then I just think those type of those agencies that are putting out those RFPs don't really value artists. So I just like, I just made a decision moving from then. i just want to work with people that know the type of work that I do value my work and value me. Um, And those are the only type of people I want to work with. So I, I will turn down a project where I feel like, like that's not happening. If it's something outside of that, it's not in alignment with where I am, but yeah. So anyways, I have applied to, a. I have applied to a lot of RFQs and I've gotten zero, but, um, I would, I get most of my, my work from referrals and word of mouth. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that because I post constantly on social media. So someone will always like tag me. So right. on a post or something, and I'll always, I'll always reach out like one of my clients. Um, he owns spar it's a boxing gym and he has a locate two locations in Houston. Well, one in Houston, one in Katy, and then one in Miami. And that was through someone tagging me to his post. And to be honest with you, Devon, I wasn't going to go because he, the way he had, they had, t- when they tagged me to his post, he worded it in a way where it looked like <laughs> I can he already. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm like, he wants this for free. Like, uh, like he said something about, um, exposure, and exposure, yeah. I don't know about you is a trigger word for me.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I shut down as soon as I hear exposure. And maybe they're not even meaning it in the way I, I'm gonna hear it. But I hear exposure, I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm not doing free work, you know. Bye. Um yeah. and so I had to get out of myself and I'm like, you know what? I'm still just go and do the meeting, just do the meeting. And so we had a great meeting and I did one and now I'm his you know his go-to artist because he wants to stay on brand so it's gonna be me for all the gyms that he opens and so now I've done three for him after that one so yeah it just I yeah I get so I get a lot through word of mouth and referrals and I'm I'm really thankful for that
1: for those that don't know just taking a step back to the RFQs RFPs um where do you even find those so I'm sure there's people listening like wow I never even heard of these I know I didn't hear about them until recently so where do you find these yeah. um, opportunities?
0: Great question. Um, so there's several sites. One is publicartist.org. Um, and so these are for uh, 2D work. So either painting a mural or they're going to buy your art or they want to hire you to buy your art, um, as in like commission you to do something special for that p- uh, place or sculptures or whatever so just public art installation so it's going to be in a public place and then um call for art entry so cafe.org and then the other one recently is submittable and that one's not just for artists submittable is just a tool where people can ask you know their uh, it's a request for rfq and rfp is not a term that's only used in our industry that's a Mm -hmm. Like it's across the board industry. So you'll hear it in oil and gas and tech and all kinds of other industries. So a lot of different industries use Submittable, but I think you can go on filters under the filters and kind of sort through and see if there's any art related um, RFPs or RFQs. So those are the three main websites.
1: And I would like to share with people too, that they typically are big budget opportunities too, which makes it really exciting for artists because you typically don't see those kinds of opportunities anywhere else. So I feel like, I mean, I've been applying recently and I haven't had any luck yet, but I'm not discouraged just because like, it's all a numbers game, you know, you never know if you're gonna get that one. And then if you do, they're so big budgeted, like you're just like, finally, like this was the one, you know, this is
0: what it was meant to be. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, because it can like, for me, like what's submittable, it shows you all the ones that you applied and the status of that. And I, mm-hmm. I'd open up my account and it was like, deny, 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 that. <laughs> and I'm like, ouch, that really hurts. You know, when am I, when is one going to pop off? And it, and it really is that I remember my mentor telling me, it's like, just keep applying. Just like what you said, you never know when you will get one. I used to do his applications and, and because he's been in the game for 20 years, he has a vast portfolio and a very strong portfolio. Um, and so we did, um, we did get a few proposals, um, when I was w- working like for, like when I was working with him. Um, so I-, I was just told like just to keep applying and then, and the same experience, like keep building up your own portfolio. So, you know, for those who want to get in, in mural work and they don't have a wall, I always tell like new artists, but you do like your home, like you mm-hmm. can keep repainting that one wall over and over again. And nobody is going to know, like it's the wall inside of your home and that you've repainted it a hundred times because you're just building that portfolio of work. And the more you keep creating, then you're putting that energy out there. And the more is going to come like boomerang back to you where people will be like, Oh, I like that. I want something like that. Or, Hey, I know somebody who wants something like that. And so keep creating, keep posting. Um, But yeah, I, 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 I say, keep, you know, keep applying. And then every time you create some new work, add that into your portfolio and you just never know my other girlfriend, she's a very also talented, prolific artist. And she's been denied. I think on all of her ones that she's applied for, she's been denied as well. And so it goes to show also that sometimes it's not about the experience. Sometimes it's not about the body of work. It just, I think it comes down to a numbers game. You just don't know what these people are thinking and the people Mm -hmm. that are making these decisions aren't art people. So they're not taking a lot of things into consideration. I think that artists would kind of take into consideration. So you just never know. So you just keep applying, keep going for it. And then ask questions. I call, sometimes I will call the client that put out the RFQ and RFP to be like, you know, thank you for your time. I appreciate you taking a look at my proposal. Can you give me some feedback, you know, so that I can, I can improve on the next one. And sometimes they give you good feedback or sometimes they give you fluff and you're like, I really don't know what to do with this. This doesn't help me. Like, they'll be like, oh no, your proposal was great. <laughs> Try again next time. And I'm like, but it wasn't okay. that good, obviously. Cause I didn't make it. So like, why didn't I make it? tell me why. I'm not- <laughs> so um, I'll do that too sometimes and, and get some feedback so I can improve on the next one. And then research on go on Google, like refine your artist statement. I did hire in the beginning um, an editor and she edited all of my, like my biography, my artist statement, my letter of intent so that it was just more clear and concise in language. And then all I had to do was do as a plug and play every time I applied for a project.
1: So. Yes. And that's, what's good about these two. Cause a lot of times you're filling in the same thing, but you're obviously tailoring it to whatever the project and who the client is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recently hired somebody to redo my statement and things too. So anybody that's listening, you're like, okay, well, where, where do I find like a, a copywriter or an editor or things like that? For, for me, I recommend using Upwork and even Fiverr. There's yes. some, it's, it's, it's affordable. And there's some yes. great writers on there and they can show you the work that they've done. And you can even like like for Fiverr, you can hire multiple people and then you can just pick the one that you like the best out of the two, or you know, because it's mm-hmm. so um it's not that expensive, obviously, to to hire off a of Fiverr, but you can have options and it also helps you kind of get clear on your artwork and how to talk about it too. Um yeah, you have to ask those questions because like yeah
0: you obviously have to give them content to edit, you know, and mm-hmm. you're like, well, who am I? Like, what is my art about? Like, what, where do I draw my inspiration from? Like you, you, you think you know, these answers. And then when you actually sit down and put, you know, ink to ink to paper, you're like, oh, I really don't know. Like, what is, who am I? What am I doing? It really makes yeah. you and then it, and, and then you have more direction when you're, when you are doing your artwork or when you are applying. For projects or taking on commissions to be like, you know what? This is not in alignment with my brand, and so I don't need to take this project. So, um yeah, I think it yeah, that's a great it's a just a good exercise to do whether you want to apply for projects or not. I just think it's a generally it's just a good exercise as an artist. And it doesn't matter what stage you are in your artistry. I I remember doing that um I think last year the year before cuz I joined the Artist Ink program and I re-answered all those questions and I had to ask myself that again, and I and you would think I would know, but I was like, I don't know. I'm like, what's the <laughs> artist statement? I don't know. What do I? Why? Where do I draw inspiration from? I don't know. So it's good to do it every couple of years, just to yeah, you know, stay on top of your shit.
1: And it's good to just to see how, you know, other people who understand art or write about art, interpret your art. And sometimes yes. they can, they're able to communicate it in a way that you didn't know how to. And you're like, yes, that's what, like, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and then yes. you can take that and, and run with it.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think in the beginning, so like when I wrote my book, I get um, uh, another author, gave me really good feedback. So when you're doing your artist statement, it may be intimidating to sit in front of a computer and to like write it down, like type it out. So it's sometimes it's easier to talk for me. It's easier to talk and then listen, and then I can refine it out. So I just got, I just started talking. Like I just recorded myself on my phone and then I played it back and then started typing it out. And then I started kind of editing it and, you know, cutting things out or adding things. And that was a little bit easier for me than just staring at a blank white paper. and like, I don't know where to start. So that could be useful.
1: Yeah. I love that tip. Um, going back to what you said about exposure, it's, you know, and we hear that so much as artists and it does become a trigger like over time, especially mm-hmm. if you get burned by that word, which typically happens. Um, but I think it's, I think it's also still good to have an open mind, kind of like how you did. You were like, oh, fuck, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. but you were like, let me just take this meeting anyways. And, you know, that's happened to me a couple of times where like, you know, I, I felt that, but sometimes people don't know how that word has harmed the industry. And it's about you educating those people. A lot of times people don't know better. And we're in a society where like unsubconsciously, like we're subconsciously trained Uh to look at the art world in a certain way, or look at, you know, how artists are treated in a certain way. And people don't know, like it's a norm to look at artists and not think that they, you know, we're supposed to pay them because we've kind of set that up for ourselves. A lot of artists, you know, don't, uh, charge advocate for the work yes. yeah or advocate mm-hmm. or things like that um and so I'd- hey gangstar sorry to interrupt but if you're enjoying this episode so far stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts if you're a true gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like i know you do you're gonna want to take a few seconds to do this now Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in. Hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? (laughs) All right, thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. I think it's important to make note that like you're like okay let me just have this conversation you, you never know like obviously if you're like busy through the roof and you don't have time to entertain sure but if like you're trying to get projects especially in the beginning i don't think it hurts to have the conversation and maybe you educating that client you know on if they do have bad intentions on mm-hmm. what that looks like that could change the game for other artists and it can also change the game to you because then maybe you know you're selling them on actually paying you and then it could work right. out like that i know that's worked out a couple times for me and that obviously. Yeah worked out for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you completely. Uh, whenever I go in for the initial meeting and like do a site visit of the place and the wall, um, I definitely don't go into it with the purpose of selling them and to close the deal. Um, I go with the intention of, uh, research and education. So educate, education in terms of educating the client of the process, of how to go about uh commissioning artwork and then research and that's for me to research the client to be like ask them questions uh so i know whether i want to work with this client or not because not for me personally not all money is good money or all not all projects are mm-hmm. worth the time like i had i did deny i remember one time i did deny um this was at the end of 2019 beginning of 2020 i denied a $20,000 commission for this man who wanted to do in his uh, a mural in his private residence for his daughter and I won't go to into too much detail but in the in the in the middle of the process of wanting like he signed the contract but hadn't paid me my deposit yet uh to kick off the rendering process and in that time period while I was waiting for his deposit he ended up buying a painting for me and um that was a whole hassle in itself like after like 30 days telling me he didn't like it. And he was like being very dramatic about it with his wife saying she looked at it and started crying. And I'm like, a painting is making you cry? Like-
1: Like crying like that they didn't like it or crying- They were crying because they
0: he didn't like it. Mind you, uh-huh. he approved it. So what happened was he bought a painting off of Instagram that he liked that he saw that I did, but that original was already sold. I, I posted it and it got s- it sold with like in-, in 30 seconds to someone like, I don't know, in- Utah or something like somewhere. And, and, um, and he wanted that exact one. And I explained to him, like, it's impossible, even if I wanted to, to recreate that painting, but I will try my best. Um, but it's going to have variants to it and it's not going to be mm-hmm. exact. It's like totally fine. Well, I think he, on the picture, it looked like I just, on the description of the original painting, I said it was monochromatic and monochromatic black. And so I just assumed people would know monochromatic means one color, mono, one chromatic color, Um, but or research, the word if they didn't know what that word meant. And so he saw a gradient of blue and black. So when I showed it to him, he was like, no, I don't like it. It's not what it looks like. And I'm like, I'm the artist. I know what I used. I know how I made it like this is it. And then he tells me he thought it was blue, black. And I'm like, that's not what I painted originally for the original painting. But not a problem. I can do that for you. So I make the change. I sent him the final picture. He said he liked it. I went to his home and installed the painting. He said he liked it. And then 30 days later, he's telling me he doesn't like it. And then he basically said, either you change it or I'm not doing this mural commission with you. And I'm sitting here going, I had to make a tough decision because I, I just became single. I was a single mom. And I had no money because I left an abusive relationship and I was like, oh, I really need the 20 grand because in two weeks I have to pay rent and I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. So I could really use that 20 grand. It will set me up really good for a few months. And but dealing with that client in between on that $500 painting, I made the decision of like if he's acting like this for a $500 painting and he's coming back 30 days later complaining about something then I can only imagine what he would do for a $20,000 mural commission. And I just got the intuition that that painting would, that mural would never be finished. He would always nitpick about something and hold it over my head that he paid 20 grand. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think it's worth it like to deal with him. And so I declined the project and I think he was shocked. And I was like, I don't want it. It's fine. And that painting is final sale. You approved it via phone and you approved it in person. Like, sorry, I'm not like Walmart or Tuesday morning or something where I have a 30 day back, you know, guarantee, like it doesn't work that way. So anyways, not all money is good money. Um, and you were talking about exposure. I lost my train of thought. It was like a short TV. We're talking about exposure and something. Oh, site visit research. And um, research and um education. So yeah, I just go and I educate the client and they may use words like exposure and other words that may trigger, but I just educate them and either they're like, oh, I learned something new and like what you said, I will pay you or yeah, I hear you, but I'm still gonna pay you an exposure. And then it's up to me to say yes or no. So yeah, I definitely go in and educate the client and definitely do my own research to see if it's a
1: good fit. Yeah. And a lot of times I've found from conversations with clients, like they literally do not know how anything yeah. works when it comes to yeah. art. And so like, they don't know that if you're going to paint a mural, like supplies cost at least $500. Yeah. <laughs> at least, you know, and yes. that's if you have supplies on hand, um, it could cost, you know, a thousand dollars, depending if you have like nothing and you need, t- you need a ton of paint and rollers and everything. Like they don't know that. Right. So, right sometimes like they're still thinking that you're just grabbing like walmart you know acrylics and like you're gonna paint right. this big wall <laughs> with it and they're like a dollar each or something but like sometimes if you paint the, you have to paint the picture for them and be like yeah like mm-hmm. you know i have to supplies are typically around this this range for this size of a project and in the industry people you know charge you know x amount of dollars per square foot um and then like they're just like you can see the light bulb kind of go off yes like, oh mm-hmm. I didn't know. Yeah, that. I don't, okay. I
0: don't take it personally. It's just that they don't know. So I don't get irritated. I don't get upset or aggravated. It's just, yeah, I just educate them on the process. And when they, once they get most of them who are business owners, they get it, you know, cause they they're in a business themselves. I'm sure they're providing a product or service. And most people don't know what goes into providing that product or service, mm-hmm. especially if it's a small business. So That's why it costs a lot more than going at a, at a store. That's a big conglomerate and they they're making it in bulk so they can offset that cost. Yeah. Most people get it. I mean, I remember this one time this guy wanted me to do a mural and like he, I went in for a site visit and he wanted it done like in two days. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) And for like super cheap. And I'm like, wait, you want a rush order? And you don't want to pay me like even like even the cost of materials. This just crazy. Like you meet those crazy people. And I'm like, dude, it's good luck. The unfortunate part is, though, they will always find artists, you know, um, mm-hmm. that will do it for cheaper. They're always going to find artists that would do it for free. And I get it for those artists. But I think what those artists don't understand that not only does it hurt them in the long run, but it also hurts the whole industry like we're all connected so i feel like i'm on this movement of wanting to um, regulate the industry and by regulating the industry that means us artists have to have like open conversations with each other about what we're charging what our budget is all of that kind of stuff so that we are more of a unified front so that now it doesn't come down to cost, but it comes down to the style of work. Do they like Devana style of work? Do they like Amy's style of work? And it's not mm-hmm. a factor of cost because we're charging the same thing, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, I, and it would just help all artists because we can raise, we can raise our like the worth of artwork and mural work. Cause it plays such an important part in society in so many different ways, not like not including like branding and awareness and all of that exposure of their brand when we paint on their walls. So yeah, I I feel like as artists that we can have more of these open conversations, we can raise the value and regulate that industries. Just like, you know, if you hire a plumber or a handyman, you know, the rate. So now it just comes down to quality of work of which plumber is recommended, but it's regulated. You know how much it's going to cost to get your plumbing done. So yeah. Want to be able to do that in the art world.
1: I'm with you, girl. That's why I got this podcast, and yes. I feel like there's a there's a rise in uh, the community of artists who have been able to be successful and pave the way. They're starting to pave yeah. the way for you know other artists in the industry and being more transparent as far as you know pricing and things like that. So, which kind of takes me to my next question: How do you go about pricing your artwork? I know a lot of muralists um, and artists do different um, different ways. So. Can you share with the Gangstar yeah. Creatives your way?
0: Yeah, I I price it by square footage. There's a lot of factors. And I've had like people come to me and say, can you give me a price list? And it's really impossible to do a price list for a mural because there's so many factors. So I'm taking into account um, the size of the wall, the texture of the wall, um, the ground underneath like by the wall, because if there's shrubbery, then it means that I can't like stand directly at the wall. If it's like, I would have to have a ladder or some kind of apparatus to get to the wall. um, How high it is, will I need like a scissor lift or a boom lift? And there's a difference in cost of getting a boom lift or a scissor lift by a thousand dollars. So I'm taking that into account, texture of the wall. If it's like, like I just recently painted like yesterday on a brick wall and doing straight lines. That shits for the birds. I hate it. It's so <laughs> difficult, you know. Like you're trying to get in these grooves, and then you try to keep a straight line, and you can't tape it off because it's in the groove, like, you know. So I'm taking that into account to, like, how how much more work am I gonna um, have to do? Like, or if it's aluminum steel, like that's a whole different tackle, and then the intricacy of the design, um, if it's super detailed, so that I'll take that into account, and then materials: am I using spray paint or am I using latex? And then is it outside or inside? If it's outside, is the wall facing the sun? Um, All of those I take into factor when I put my price. So I can't just say, I charge $25 a square foot and it's blank, blanket like that. It's Mm -hmm. not possible for me because I'm taking, like if I'm doing a mural outside and it's facing the sun in June and July, I'm charging more because that takes a lot of energy to be outside like that versus me being outside during the spring or the fall and the sun's not beating down on me um the whole day. So that price will be a little bit different. So sometimes I'll educate the client and tell ask them if they want to move it a little bit further out so I'm not in the summer months or sometimes they're like we'll we'll pay you. I don't care, we want it now. So I'll be like that's fine. You're going to pay me extra. So I take all of those factors into account before I quote a price. And then also I put a budget, I put a like a, a quick preliminary preliminary budget together. Like I already have a template on Excel and it's already auto populated. So I just have to fill in the quantity. So it's taking not into account just the cost of materials, but I'm putting in labor. I pay myself like it. So I pay myself like, so whatever the, say the, the budget, the cost of that project was going to be like 20,000. I don't pocket $20,000. I take into cost. I pay myself a design fee. I pay myself an hourly rate, depending anywhere between $30 to $50. And then if I have a team of people, I'm paying them. And then I take out taxes. Um, and then I factor in the cost of my, my office, my studio office, the light bill, internet, my cell phone, my computer, all the apps, my website. Like I factor all of those costs into that one project because all of that, all of the stuff that I use took to get that project. So, um, so I do that now before I quote, I kind of put in the numbers. I, I know how fast I paint. So I'll be like, okay, I know this project will take me a weekend or this project will take me a week. This is how many people I'm going to have. And then that will give me a rough idea of what I need to quote them. Like realistically what it's going to cost me. Cause got to pay taxes. I pay franchise tax and I pay sales tax. So I got to I got to take all of that into consideration when I'm giving, giving a quote. So a lot of people, I think just throw numbers out there and they're not factoring in the true cost of what it takes to actually do that whole project. Like these tiny cats, like gas, you know, you're driving to and from that project. And now with the gas increase, you want to, you've got to factor that in your wear and tear of your mm-hmm. tires. I mean, yeah. Wear and tear of your car, maintenance, oil change. Like you're using all of this stuff to run your business. You know, you, I think it's like changing the mindset and, um, and f- yeah, thinking of, of it like that, because if you worked in corporate America, like they'll give you a gas card, they'll give you a corporate card, they'll they even pay for a vehicle or they'll give you 35 cents back um, per mile uh when if you're driving your own personal vehicle uh, for a job sites. So if if that company is doing that, then your own your own artist company needs to be doing that to you because you're an employee of your own company, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome that you shared that um because you know a lot of people don't you have that corporate america experience mm-hmm. and professional experience that a lot of creatives don't have and so you kind of have that advantage of knowing how to look at it from that business, you know, mm-hmm. mindset and how to yeah. actually uh, logistically handle something like that. And so I'm sure what you just shared is super helpful to everyone listening because there's so many factors that come at play. You know, you're as an artist, you're excited about being creative and doing the project, but you don't want to come out of pocket. And I feel like right. nine times out of 10, especially in the beginning of you know, an art career, like you're coming out of pocket a lot of times because you don't know how to properly charge for the projects or you, you know, take projects on for exposure and things like that. And you try to, you basically are the ones getting the short end of the stick. And so it's important to like know up front, like how much it costs you. Do you need to hire? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're traveling and stuff, do you have to hire a sitter? Do you need to hire a dog sitter? Do you need to rent a car? Like there's so many like factors that come into play. And obviously you don't have to know like everything up front. The more you do projects, you, the the more you're going to know what you need to know. Um, but at Mm -hmm. least just start with the basics, you know, like what it takes to actually make a living. Um, yeah. I mean like because a lot of artists in the beginning
0: will take you know they'll be like oh I got a good project she paid for here she paid for my materials but what you don't realize is that now you're subsidizing your labor like you're giving them free labor like if you go to a mechanic shop you'll see charge for parts and charge for labor you know Mm -hmm. and so you I I think a lot of artists think that they they're like oh yeah this is a good client they paid for my materials like but they didn't pay for you. Like, why would you work for free? And so it's kind of also kind of changing that mindset. Cause I've had a few artists come and be like, Oh yeah. You know, and tell me that they had a great client and they paid for the materials. And then I'm like, you know, and then I share like, but you didn't get paid. And they're like, and they're like a light bulb exactly goes on. They're like, Oh, I didn't think of it like that. You know Um, I think if you get more in the habit of advocating for yourself, it may feel counterintuitive to turn down projects when you know you need projects. But I have been in a place, like I shared that story earlier of turning down that $20,000 project. And I was okay. I actually, um, that following month was my highest revenueing month, year to date. And I brought in $10,000 worth of projects that year, that, that month in January. And so there was like eye opening for me to be like, wow, I said no to 20 grand. But I had my highest producing month that that following year, that January. And so I really do encourage artists like if you are starting off and you know you need work um, either to pay bills or just get your portfolio off the ground. I highly encourage yourself to listen to your intuition Um, because I'm not saying don't do any projects for exposure or for a lower budget because. There may be invisible benefits there. Maybe the client is like high profile and they're very well connected. And that may be an offset to do a project at a at a lower cost. Um, You kind of have to weigh out what works best for you. But I I would just say I highly encourage to say no to projects that are not in alignment with you and not uh, valuing your work that, you know. Cause the more you say no to that, the more you'll, the more projects that are in alignment that do value you and your work will be coming, knocking at your door. It will, it's just the, it's just the universal law. Like I'm not even, I'm not making this up. Like, this is just, it's not my opinion. This is like universal law, you know?
1: Yeah. Now you're somebody who has had a lot of experience hiring subcap subcontracting and hiring like artists. I, I don't want to talk about the- this
0: one. I don't know.
1: Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Because <laughs> you're one of the only people I know that do this consistently. Um, And I love for you to share how you're able to train artists under your style, under like what just give us some tips Um, to the listeners of like, how do you oh, yeah. even go about Bringing on artist assistants or people to work for you or work on projects when you're not there, Um, because I know for artists it's like what, like I didn't even know I could do that or what, like is she even an artist? Like I'm sure that that's come up too. But there's a lot of famous artists who don't do any of their work, but they have a whole team. But that's a whole nother conversation. But how do you, um, how do you have employees or subcontractors? How do you have artists actually translate your artwork?
0: Yeah, I have you know, I almost do it like a a coloring book, like color by numbers. Uh, uh, And yeah, that's pretty much how I do it so that they can, they can do what I'm painting. It's not to, because of their ability, it's just to ensure that it's in my style and what I want, how, and what I want painted. So I hire a mix of artists and then I hire a mix of construction people, depending on the job of what it is, because I feel like sometimes with, hiring construction people they know the fast the fast and most efficient way to get like a large like wall painted uh versus an artist who will do it in an artistic way and it's not needed because painting a mural versus painting a canvas are two different styles um it's completely different uh so I kind of break down my my rendering and break it into parts And then I see which one is best to hire, whether it's a construction person or an artist person to do it. I did eventually kind of refine my process, like some of my spray paint murals where I to say it worked on saving costs and to hire people. I actually had them paint the background in latex and then I would go over it in spray paint and spray in the details. And so it had a more of the graffiti feel that the uh, client was looking for. And it saved me costs because if I had spray painted the whole thing, it would have just been me. Um, Cause I haven't spray painted with another artist yet, like a, an artist assistant, uh, just because the ones that I have hired don't have the experience. So uh, I, I found that process where they paint in latex. So it saved me cost in materials. And it saved me in time and it just worked out that way. So I try to create designs possible where it's a latex background, and then I can go on top and paint, uh, do spray paint on top. Um, yeah. And then I just have a Rolodex of artists. So it's not like I've had a consistent group because most of the artists that I hire, they have their own thing going on and they're doing their own thing. So I have to be cognizant of their schedule, or maybe they may not be a good fit for that project. Like there could be one who does really get great text, but it's not really good with abstract or painting large areas. So I kind of have to decipher uh, and watch them and see what their strengths are to see which, where I want them in what project. Um, and then I just wrote, I think it requires a lot of communication requires a lot of patience. Um, and it's going to be feeling like a step backwards. Cause what I hear from a lot of artists is that, ugh, I, it's slowing me down. It's slowing me down. But this goes with any job, you know, imagine yourself getting hired for something. they have a training for you. And yes, it slows down that manager or whatever. But in the long run, what they're doing is they're investing time in you by training you so that in the future you get it and you're able to do all the work efficiently and fast and it alleviates some of the tasks for them. So I kind of see it as that of me investing in them and them investing in my business. um. Because I know at one point which demana you were there, where I was like bitching and complaining. and I had an epiphany after that to be like, I can sit here and bitch and complain every single time, or I can change my perspective and and what I just said earlier is look at it as an investment both ways so that I can grow my business because it's we're new to each other. It's like a new relationship. you know, when you get into a relationship with someone, you're figuring out their style of communication how they do things, what they like, like even if you move in together, like how do they live? Like you're learning each other. And I think that goes the same with hiring an assistant. They have their way of painting and doing things. You have your way. And it's kind of like a tango with each other to see if it's a good fit. Sometimes I meet artists and they're not willing to change and they don't want to. And then I have to make the assessment to be like, well, this is not a good fit for me because you're not coachable. Um, So yeah, it's just trial and error. I think it just depends on your goals. For your own business. I know some artists who don't want to ever do that. So they're okay with the growth of their business and being at where it is and limited to just them. And they're okay with that. Um, so you don't have to hire people, but I believe yeah. if you want to grow and you want to be like a multi-million dollar business, you are going to have to hire people. It's just inevitable. There's no way you can do all that art by yourself, painting it and all the back admin work and be a multi million dollar business. It's not possible. So yeah, you're going to have to figure out to hire people. So I think it just comes down to what your intentions are. Like how big do you want your business to grow?
1: Mm, answer that's to your good question. Insight. It does. Um, that's and it. I think it's cool that you've been able to kind of hack that and you're still learning. I think when you're yes. hiring people, it's always a learning process. It's not easy. And like Amy said, it's not for everybody um and you kind of just got to decide what you want to do and maybe you try out hiring people and yes. you realize this isn't for you and then boom at least you you know that now
0: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i and and i've had friends do that they try they tried and they're like yeah no this is not for me i'm not doing it again and for me i'm i'm okay it's just going to be like you know everybody has different personality types and i think like i would like to get to a place where i have my cons- consistent team um, I would like to get there. I'm not there now. Um, I'm just I'm doing different people, so I just have a number of people to call on. But I am looking forward to getting like a consistent team of people. I think it's like what every small business goes through. They're, they're in growing pains where they're getting bigger, so they know they're going to hire people, but they're not big enough to like hire someone full time. So they're in that in between space. And it's just making some sacrifices. And what other business owners have told me is that you're gonna have to you're gonna have to put some money in before you get the money out. So meaning I'm gonna have to give more money in investing in hiring assistants, um, but it's gonna pay off in the long run where then I can bring in more money. So it may feel like I'm I'm giving out more money than bringing in, but it's an investment for my own business in the future. So it's just like when you start beginning, you know where you're having to pay for a website and you're paying for cards and you're paying for canvases and materials. Like you're seeing all this money go out, but you know, it's going to be an investment in the future for your business. So I think that's just like the next step with people.
1: So you've obviously had a, had a lot of experience under your belt as far as projects and running a business as an artist, but you are also a single mom, as you had mentioned. So, mm-hmm. for all the single moms, single parents that are listening, how are you able to actually balance that? You know, you have to travel for projects, you have to obviously do a lot of hustle as an entrepreneur, as a creative entrepreneur what are some tips or some resources or advice you can give to any of those single parents that are trying to pursue you know a full-time career as an artist
0: yeah I mean I would say you can do it all but you can't do it all like in terms of you can do it all you can be a mom you can be a parent whether you're a single parent or not um, run a business have a life and do all of these things but you also can't do it all. So each day you have to kind of like pick what your intentions are and what your priorities are for that day. So every day I'm not, I may not be like working a full eight hour work day, um, because that day is dedicated to my son and what he needs. And it changes because as he gets older, he's going to be more and more independent right now. My son is four and he requires a lot of attention and, and he needs me a lot for a lot of things. And so I, before I would get kind of frustrated when I was like in work mode or I was feeling like really energized or motivated and I wanted to be in that workplace, whether it was getting admin work done or painting, and I would get frustrated because I want to do that. And I'm in that space, but my son needs me and I need to cater to his needs. Um, and so it really helped me to prioritize each day to be like, okay, what am I focused on? And then also have blocked out schedules and then also integrating my son in my work stuff. So um, he comes to all of my meetings and I kind of look at it as for him as like real life on the job training, like real world training. Um, so he's getting to like learn how to interact with people, shaking hands, making eye contact, making being confident, introducing himself. So. I don't look at it as an inconvenience of like, oh, I need to bring my son to work. Um, I just see it as it's training for him, and also this is single mom life, and I have to make it work the way I I need to make it work to work for me. So I've not have yet to have a client complain if I bring my son. They, in fact, I think he's kind of like my secret weapon to close the deal because he's so cute. Mm, I
1: was gonna ask that (laughs) too. Like, yeah, I think they're like,
0: like, oh my god. Cute. and then I really <laughs> like that I'm hustling as a single mom like I'm making it work so I haven't had like a client be like I can't believe you schedule like why didn't you why did you bring him um and so yeah then I'm assuming you tell him
1: in advance too right yes. or are you just uh no
0: I do sometimes you know. I don't I'm like whatever like this is like life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what are they going to do? Cancel the meeting because I have to bring my son like, you know, so I really sometimes don't give a heads up. I think it depends if it's like a kind of like a construction site, because then they have rules and I cannot have a little person, you know, walking in a very high construction area. So in that case, like I would have to say, Hey, I have my son. So can we reschedule the meeting or have it like on zoom or something, but I typically don't give heads up um so that's on they come to the meetings with me and then zen comes to the meetings with me and then also if i am in in painting mode i set him up also with his own canvas like i have a part of my home where i've covered it with butcher paper like a large area so he can go balls to the wall and paint on the ground while i can actually paint and do my actual work so i i try to integrate the two together to make it work for me And then obviously as an entrepreneur, I have just weird schedule time. So sometimes it's trying to get it in during his nap time or getting it in when he's already asleep. And I have to stay up a few hours later and go to bed like at one in the morning or something so I can get some stuff done. But I think it's balance. And then also reminding myself that this stage of my, where I am in my business and with my son is temporary. So it's going to keep changing. Cause then my son is going to go full-time to school in the fall. And that's going to give me ample of time, um, to get a lot of stuff done when he's at yeah. school. So that's going to change. And then also, um, my son is my top priority. And so there are times where I also make the decision to be like, you know what, I really want to be in the moment with my son. Cause this, Stage in his life is never going to come back. It's, just, it's one time only, and to enjoy that, and my work will be there. So, um, I don't stress out. So, I, I've already conditioned my mind when I have him during the school year that my time is more focused on Zen because I won't get those years, that time back. So, I'm okay with the s- speed of my business going at the rate it is now. And I know it'll go faster when he gets older. And so I'm okay with that. Mm, so I think, I think it's just kind of, uh, so I, I said a lot. So basically to condense, letting it overlap, letting your work, it's not, they're not separate. So letting your personal life and your work life overlap a little bit and figuring out how to integrate the two together so it can make it work. Um, and then yeah. prioritizing your day and your intentions for the day. And family is more important and your work will be there. And so for me, it's prior to prioritizing my family and investing in like also my friendships too. You know, I, I, in the beginning, I didn't go out. I was pretty much a hermit in my own home because I was getting my business off the ground. And now that it's in a, in a different place, I am yearning to have girl friendships. So I'm investing time with girlfriends to, to have these lifelong friendships with them.
1: Oh, Balancing that's awesome. Out. You are one of them, Devonna. Yay. <laughs> it's been so cool too, just having, you know, being new to Houston and kind of had already been connected with you, so to speak. It's almost like this was supposed to happen or we were supposed yes. to meet and build this friendship. So I'm excited to see what comes out of our friendship. And yes. I think it's a really, it's really admiring to see like how you're able to balance and make that work as a single mom. I've had a couple other, um, single mom, creatives and artists on the show. And it's always interesting to me just to see how that, you know, plays out. And, you know, we we were just previously talking about, you know, you hiring out and hiring contractors and artists and people to help you and hiring a team. And I'm sure that's like a big reason why you do it. So you can create more space and time for, you you know, your son and just what matters in your life. Yeah. I mean,
0: ultimately, I mean, that's it. Like I want to I want to spend more time with my son as much as I can possibly. And, and also on the other end, it creates an economy for other artists. You know, there are a lot of artists who want to do art, but they don't want to do it as a full-time business. Like it's just too much work and it takes, it almost sucks the fun out of creating. So it kind of, it all, for me, it all kind of works hand in hand. It's like beneficial on, on both sides.
1: Yeah. You know, as an, as an entrepreneur myself, I know that The journey is full of highs as much as there is lows, Mm. Um, and I know a part of your story you had briefly brought up. I think that you know you were in an abusive relationship, um, and I know just from our previous conversations and um, just the little form that you filled out before coming on the show. um, One of your greatest achievements you've shared was you know escaping that relationship. Uh, you ended up being homeless with no money and then rebuilding your life and career. Um, so would you mind being transparent and vulnerable and sharing a little bit about the backstory of that? Because I know as an entrepreneur, like even the most successful people that I've ever talked to, millionaires, billionaires, CEOs, or whatever, a lot of them have hit rock bottom multiple times. Like that is a very common um, theme, but they're able to come back up and come to you know where they're trying to get to in life. Um, and so I think it's important to share stories like these because who's ever listening may be you know feeling like they're at the rock bottom. so I would love for you to kind of share a little bit more about that part of your story
0: Yeah um i so my mentor that I've mentioned earlier ended up turning into a romantic relationship and little did I know that his intentions, were not pure like I thought he was. I thought he was um, just going to be my mentor, and and then when it turned into a romantic relationship, I didn't realize that he had other intentions, like in terms of like abuse, uh, psychological and mental and emotional abuse. So I'm over here thinking like, oh great, he's handing me these you know amazing contracts. Like I got to work with the Super Bowl with him. We did two murals for the Super Bowl when it was well he he had a contract for 5 but i ended up i got two of those contracts and um to work with the super bowl when it was here in houston and we did a whole we traveled the world and did a lot of amazing projects like in italy, ecuador, like all of these so i'm thinking like wow, i found a person who believes in me and believes in my work and is investing in me and my work when in fact he was just kind of giving me like sweet candy to then capture me and, and cage me up essentially. Um, And so I ended up, yeah, being in a romantic relationship with him. We have a child together and I started really, my eyes started really opening to seeing that he was abusive. Um, I'd always thought abuse was physical and verbal, like what you hear and what you see on TV. And I never really knew about psychological and mental and emotional and financial abuse. And when I would share some of the stories when I was having hard times with him, I had girlfriends who were like, he's abusing you. And I'm like, no. And I would make, (laughs) I would make excuses for it and be like, well, you just don't know him. And we've all said that we just don't know him like I do, or this happened. And and I would put the blame on me. Well, I did this and that's why he did that, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and not realizing that he had groomed me to think like that. Um, and, um, also I thought only it happened to weak women or weak men. So I never considered myself weak. I'm like, no, I'm strong and I'm confident and that shit would never happen to me. And lo and behold, it did. And I, after I left, so I left, I I started opening up my eyes and I started seeing this and I'm like, you know what? It was an eye opener when I had my son and I was like, I don't want my son to grow up in this household. And I would offer him I would be a better parent and a better person if I was not with this person. And so um, I left and because my business was tied to him, he was my sole like client. Um, And I was, you know, I hadn't gotten that many commissions yet on my own. I had gone that one that I had talked about earlier on the podcast in 2017, but I was still building up my business without him. I was scared. I had no money. Um, because obviously all my projects came from him and I had a one-year-old barely one-year-old son who I was breastfeeding. And I, my parents had disowned me because I chose to have a baby with someone that was outside of my culture. And also I chose not to get married. So double no, no. And I had to make a decision the, like immediately to be like, do I go back to corporate America? And and get money because I need to be responsible and provide for my son and myself? Or do I pursue this dream that I started in 2013, 2014, and got to go full-time in 2016 and had a taste of this for two years? Because now we're in 2018. And do I want to go backwards? Like, do I go backwards or do I continue this dream? What do I do? (laughs) And I was all over the place. Beginning of 2019. This was January, February, March. I was all over the place. I was trying to find commissions and doing outreach, but at the same time, I was going on job interviews and trying to get land a job. And just a little bit of background: when I was looking for jobs, when I was in corporate America, I would literally do an interview and get hired on the spot. And my dad would be like, "How do you do that? Like, how do you get hired on the spot?" I'd be like, "Cause, Dad, I went in and I owned that shit." And I already said I had the job and I acted like I already had the job. And so I got the job, like, you know, and then I fast forward to now 2019 and I couldn't land a job and I would go on multiple interviews for the same job and I couldn't land. And I'm like, this is weird. And I just took it as a sign. I think it was after like two months. I'm like, you need to make a decision. You have one foot in corporate America and you have the other foot in entrepreneur, like entrepreneurship. So which one is it? Because that's why neither one is taking off because you're. Wishy washy. And this may not be for anyone, but this was just how I was feeling. Like, and I was like, you need to make a decision and go and and stand by it and be confident. Whichever one you do, it's not right or wrong. It's what's right for you. And you need to stay true to it. And I was like, fuck it. Entrepreneurship. I didn't come this fucking far to pursue my art and my career to now go backwards. Like, I'm going to make it work no matter what. And that's what I did. I started just like hustling, I started reaching out to people. Um, outreach on social media, um, outreach, like I would if I was driving by and I saw like new construction, I would stop in and introduce myself and find out who the general contractor was or the owner and give my business card. So I was doing all kinds of sales um and cold calling, cold emails, cold knocking, and then it started to grow slowly but surely. But my energy was focused in that. So um, yeah, that's how I was able to then rebuild my business. In 2019, and in 20, I think this was last year. So, 2021, I landed my first five-figure contract. And then I ended up landing back-to-back two other five-figure contracts. So, I did three five-figure contracts back-to-back in the summer. And I was like, okay, you have arrived to a new phase in your life from homeless, no money, no support, with a kid and and an abusive ex to, to making it here where you've completely rebuilt your life and now you're living life on your terms and doing what you love to do. So, and I don't think it was like magic or anything like that or luck. Um, I think it really comes down to hard work. So when I hear artists who wanna do it and I hear their excuses, I'm like, if they're really just excuses. Like if you really want it bad and you have money saved up from your corporate job you have already a place to live. You don't have any kids. Like, what's your excuse? You're just not, you're not, you're just not doing the work properly, maybe, you know,
1: Mm -hmm. so
0: it's possible you can do it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, wow. What a crazy journey that was and has been for you. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, what happens when our back is up against the wall. I know, Mm -hmm. um, there's a, there's a book that Damon John, the from shark tank he has a book called the power of broke and yes. it's basically just like what you know what you're capable of it surprises you when your back is up against the wall um and you know it's in those moments too where you're like i will never let this ever happen again and i don't have any other choice but to make this work and it's just yeah. crazy when you change shift your mindset to that and you actually put in the work and you you know you put those positive and you know, mindset and thoughts out into the universe, into the ether, like how much good's going to come to you, no matter how shitty of a situation you think Mm -hmm. you're in or how bad it is and how tough it is every day. Um, There's nothing other than positive and nothing other than success to come from it. You know, if you put in the work, that's what's going to, that's what's going to happen.
0: I think also my journey is a little bit different too, in the sense with, like with the art business because I was really lucky enough even though he was he is my abuser and is still my abuser he still abuses me because we have a kid together um psychologically and mentally but he did teach me a lot about the art side of business and so I definitely don't regret that encounter obviously for the obvious reason for we have a son together and we have a beautiful son um but just the experience I got from him through work, like how to budget, what does that look like? How to apply for these projects for RFPs, RFQs? How to handle multiple stakeholders and how to talk to them? How to be professional? Um, you know, via email. How to ask for like the budget? Like, how do I? You know, I think that's a topic that a lot of artists are shy for when it comes to cost and talking money initially on and in the on the first conversation, and. Um, I think also alongside with my corporate background and in being in sales and corporate sales, but then also learning the art side of business through him, it's really helped me start at a different level in business as an artist. Um, rather than had I just gone in blindly, I don't, I definitely don't think I would be where I am today without him. So I definitely pay gratitude to that experience that I had. And to, and to be asking for, you know, I, I recently had a conversation yesterday with someone and they're like, wait, he paid you to fly out to paint there. And I'm like, like, he paid you and he paid for your travel. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. And in my head, I'm like, I just, I just thought that was normal. Cause that's what I saw my mentor do. You know, he was getting paid to travel, to go to France and go to all, we went to all these places and the client paid for all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them were just site visits, so you know, nothing was guaranteed, but they paid for us to come out to like the Bahamas and do a site visit there. Um, so I saw that firsthand, so I'm like, okay, this I saw what was possible, yeah. Um, you know, and from there, I'm like, okay, well, anything the sky is the limit. I and I, I just all I have to do, I learned is all I have to do is ask for it, I just have to ask, it doesn't hurt to ask.
1: Yeah, it goes to like one of my favorite quotes is closed mouths don't get fed. And that's yes. a big one for me because I'm naturally more like quiet and observant and like turning on my extroverted switch and talking and stuff is more of a practice, um trait. Um, and so that's just something I always remind myself as I'm in this this season and phase of building my art career is like you got to open your mouth, you got to ask. It doesn't yes. hurt to ask. The worst thing that can happen is they say no, <laughs> you know. Right. Or the right. worst thing that can happen is like you don't ask and you never know if you could have got what you wanted. <laughs>
0: exactly. I think it goes and and we had this conversation too on the other end of a client trying to negotiate your price, and it's like mm-hmm. same on their end. They're just asking. They're just shooting their shot. As annoying as it is, like they're shooting their shot too. So all you gotta do is ask, you know, goes yep. both ways. Yeah.
1: What would you say is one of your biggest mistakes that you made in business and how did you grow from it?
0: Oh girl, one, I've made a lot of you mistakes. You had to pick I'm one or me.
1: maybe two <laughs> that you haven't shared yet. <laughs> oh,
0: um, Slowing down when, I think some of the mistakes I made early on that cost me was getting overly excited Two, I would say two. One is getting overly excited and considering the project was a done deal. So I went and bought all the stuff for it and they still hadn't paid me Mm. the deposit. And then they ended up changing their mind. And I went, I had already bought all the stuff. So that was one. It's like, you can get excited and celebrate in your head, but it's not official until the check, even if they handed you the check, until the check is cleared and the money is in the account. It is not a legit project yet. You know, talk is cheap. Mm-hmm. So I learned that early on. So same, like I don't hand a rendering without a deposit at all. And then if they're not even willing to commit on the project, then to get a deposit and uh, get a rendering fee. And then they have to pay for the rendering. So that, and then um, I used to quote because I would get so excited. I would quote right there on the spot without doing the math. And so sometimes I had underquoted the project where then I end up having to give free labor because I didn't quote accordingly. So for me, it's like slowing down. Don't quote right away. You can say, I will, you can say, okay, thank you. Let me kind of crunch the numbers and I'll get back to you with a quote, like the next day, like within the next day. So just kind of slowing down and just being a better listener, just slowing down. Listen and then crunch the numbers and then give that quote. So, because I have lost out on some money early on,
1: <laughs> I've yeah. definitely done that too. <laughs> I literally had one guy.
0: That, this was like very early on. I misquoted him because I miscalculated the size of what he was saying. And then when I realized it, I went back and I said, "Oh, I messed up. I quoted you for a way like like it was almost a quarter of a size smaller. It was way smaller." And it actually is this, this is how much I need to quote you for that size painting. And he was like, I mean, he gave me a hard time. He was like, really you, this is how you run your business. This is not how you can't just go back and, you know, change your quote. That's what you quoted me. You need to stick to your price and blah, blah, blah. And I was just so intimidated and scared that I was like, yeah, you're right. That wasn't good. You know, and I like succumbed and I still did the painting at that price. And I think now I, I think I still probably, I would just decline the project be like, you know what I did? I misquoted you and I apologize. And I really can't do it for that because it's, I can't subsidize the cost of my labor. So I do apologize for misquoting you, but this is actually the misquote and just own it and be like, I I made a mistake, but I, this is the actual quote, uh, rather than succumbing to it. Um, I think I would have handled it a lot differently, but
1: you know, I was young
0: and I needed the, I wanted the the money and I wanted to do the painting for my portfolio. So but he was the total dick about it.
1: <laughs> I mean, at least you, you brought it up though. I mean, sometimes just having that conversation with your clients, when you make a mistake and just owning it, you'll be surprised. Like if how like receptive they can be too. Yes. The well, they'll be like, Oh, okay. Okay. That's fine. Like I understand. And they'll still pay you or like, They'll pay, you know, a little bit more. Maybe not the whole thing that, you know, you 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 fucked up on, but they'll pay like a little bit more. So that's better than like, you know, losing out on what you were originally gonna lose out on.
0: Yeah, I did have a client like that. Um, I, I try to be very precise on what all my job, like the details of the job are, and I write it all out. Like, especially if it's like a lot of text work, like on multiple walls. I will write out like, you know, on this wall, I'm doing this text. Um, because I don't want anything to get lost in translation. And so I write it out on my contract. And so I had this project and I thought we had, I fulfilled the contract. And then he came back and said, Hey, why is there not text on this side of the wall? And I'm like, well, that's not, you didn't specify that. And I was like, I honestly do even remember thinking, I'm like, that's weird why he wouldn't want to have his logo on this side. Cause that's also facing this this other street. And I was going to pitch you to be like, Hey, for an extra additional cost, I will paint this logo too. Don't you like, just to give him the idea. And he was like, he basically said that he told me that. And the contract, Mm -hmm. when I reread the contract, I could see his perspective as well. And it was a little bit unclear. So it wasn't as concise and direct as I thought it was on the contract. So then what ended up happening, he was like, well, give me a quote. And then he told me he would pay half of it because it was half of it was, was my mistake and half was his mistake, (laughs) whatever. See,
1: that's cool. It's like a happy meeting. I don't, I mean,
0: I really don't agree with it, but sure, whatever. And so I still did it because (laughs) I already did, you know, the whole project. And I'm also big on my, like being professional and reputable. Um, And I didn't want him talking shit about me. So yeah. Because it was a lot of gray area. I took, I also took the, you know, I took that too. I was like, well, I'll, I'll have to eat up the cost because it was my mistake as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it made sense, but I didn't like it, <laughs> but yes. Um, uh, so being also very clear and concise, that was another, that was another lesson learned. I don't like to say the word mistakes, Devana, cause I don't think it's a mistake. It was a lesson opportunity. It was an opportunity for, for growth. Don't believe in mistakes because I learned from it. So now I know how to be better. So it wasn't a mistake. It was a lesson learned. I think if you say mistake, the mistake means that you did not learn anything and you regret it and you would take it back. So I don't really believe life operates that way. Nothing's a mistake. It's a lesson learned.
1: Yeah, I can agree with that. I think it's just, it's a mistake in the very moment, but yes. Yeah. You you learn from them, and you have to yes. like. That's how you like you you grow and learn by doing. And if you you fail in that moment, you just fail forward.
0: And you get back yeah, up you again. Fail forward. Yeah, I like that. I like that.
1: Yeah. Um. So as we wrap up this this uh this interview and this amazing conversation, um, did you have any last bits of parting advice for the gangster creative listeners?
0: Um, I think my last parting gift would be, um that whether you're starting a business or you are in the you're kind of lost your way in your artistic style or if you've lost your mojo, just know that there are very few artists in this world. You've been given a like a god god-given gift. and you need to share that gift so the world can appreciate your artist and your style. It's unique. So be confident in that. Don't compare yourself with other artists. Um, The only comparing you should do is improving on technique, but not your style of art. Don't compare that. It's yours. So stay true to it. Be confident, own it, and everything else will fall into place. I think I'll just leave it at that.
1: Boom. Is there anything, any new exciting projects or things that you have coming up that the Gangstar Creative listeners can look forward to?
0: Yes, girl. I just got a call this morning and I got a green light for this dope mosaic project. So I've been wanting to do a mosaic commission for a long time and I get to pop off in a really big way. It's a big project and a big budget. so I'm super super excited about that. And if you are in Houston, well, if in general follow me on social media. I go I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Amy Malkin. But if you're in Houston, definitely follow me because then I'm going to have community days where you can actually come up there to the studio and lay some tile with me so you can say you are a part of the project. So I'm super excited. That should be going that should be going live, hopefully, in the next few months.
1: Yay! congrats, girl. Thank That's exciting. You. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm so happy that we finally got to get this. Uh, scheduled because we've been trying to have you on the show for so long um, and you dropped so many awesome value bombs for the Gangstar Creative listeners to take away. Um, And I just thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time and your wisdom and sharing your journey with us. I enjoyed
0: my conversation with you. Thank you so much, Devana. And thank you for having this podcast for just for us creatives in general. I can't wait to listen to your other your other podcasts
1: if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe listen to a couple more episodes and share it with a fellow gangstar creative i would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of and as a thank you for leaving me a review i'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a gangstar brand pdf and five ways to boost your online sales pdf just screenshot your review and dm me the picture on instagram at devonna Stimson, and i'll send it right over to you Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.